Welcome to AntimatterPod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing the first four episodes of Lower Decks Season 2. <sighs> this is such a nice show to sit down and watch for half an hour a week. The problem is that I kind of walk away and forget about it, and now I have to do a podcast on it, apparently. <laughs> Why did we decide to do this? You don't have anything to say? Is that what you're saying? That's probably better than me. <laughs> Why? Do you have a lot to say? I don't have a lot to say, but I have things to say that are not entirely positive. Oh, oh. Well, you know we love criticizing things that are popular, and I think Lower Decks is good enough to withstand a bit of criticism, so let's go. Well, so... My overall reaction to the second season has been, oh dear, I might not be able to take more than one season of this. Oh, that's interesting. I have to admit that part of the reason I've found it a bit forgettable is that, uh, yeah, maybe the premise doesn't sustain more than one season. It's fun and all, but yeah. To be fair, I was even sort of feeling this way at the end of last season. So it's just, it's a, it's very fun. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm just not fun. <laughs> but the two things are, are, are why I'm saying this. Yeah. And the first is that I have an aversion to comedy yeah. in general. And it's back. I was pleasantly surprised by the first season, or at least most of the first season, mm -hmm. in that I was just able to laugh along and enjoy it on that comedic level. And I still laugh out loud at certain things yeah. in these four episodes. And I still enjoyed them, but I the first one I watched as soon as I woke up that mm. morning. And the other three, I didn't watch right away. I went an entire week in between. Oh, wow. Watching the second episode and watching the third episode. And then this week's episode. So I watched Tom Paris yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched Mugato today. Okay, okay. Like, for me, it drops at, like, 4.30pm on a Thursday afternoon, and I'm working from home, so it's not really a big effort for me to sit down and watch it and then go about the rest of my afternoon and evening. And it doesn't... It's not that I'm not enjoying it, it's just not making a big impact, except for a small handful of things. Mainly shacks and how very much I approve of just bringing back extremely exploded Starfleet officers without an explanation. And obviously I have a bias there. And then my second thing is actually, I think, really just an extension of the first, mm. in that I just don't get comedy. Because <laughs> my main problem is that there is an obvious solution to the problem of all of these. Like, if there is a problem in these episodes, which that's the way that stories are structured, so I'm sort of looking for the problem, yes. even if it, I'm not supposed to be. And... The, the main problem of everything is that Beckett Mariner should just not be in Starfleet. <laughs> and everything would be better for everyone. 
And that's not a criticism. Like, for you, that is the highest praise you can give a character. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, she's too good for Starfleet. They, they don't, don't deserve, deserve her. her. My problem is that we had the first episode, Strange Energies, which I liked a lot, and it basically proved that the series doesn't need Boimler. And then we get to the next episode and we have two Boimlers. <laughs> And it's not even that I dislike Boimler as a character. I really enjoyed his working with Rutherford in episode four. It's just that he really is, you know, if, if Mariner is the type of fan who is very much into interrogating the premise of Star Trek and Starfleet and the Utopia, then Boimler is more of the conventional fanboy figure. And that's fine. That is a perfectly legitimate way to be a fan. It's just not something I'm really interested in. Yeah, I have no feelings one way or the other about Boimler. You said that it doesn't have a big impact on mm -hmm. you. Boimler is like the poster boy of not having a big impact on me. Orcs. So <laughs> I just, I don't dislike him. Mm. I just... I have nothing to say about Boimler. I, I want to have something to say about Boimler, but he seems to be more of a foil for the other yeah. than a character in his own. He right. is the least interesting member of the ensemble. And this is an ensemble that contains Rutherford, who literally had his memory wiped and it doesn't seem to have made a single difference to his life. Again, I feel like these are really good comedic beats. I feel like yes! that... This is great. It's great that Rutherford, that he can be erased and brought back. And the same thing happened with Boimler. Yes, so, yes. And Shax. Yes, it's, it's, it's a theme. And that's funny. And it's a parody of every single thing that we complain about in Star Trek. But it's also what we complain about in Star Trek. It's cool that they're self-aware enough to make fun of it. But it's still there. A aside from Shax, I'm like... I don't really care that any of these characters are back and unchanged. And I really only care about Shax for cat reasons. Shax is one of the funniest because he's not trying to be funny, I think. I don't know. It's hard for me to... Like, Shax made me laugh out loud this episode. I think it was when he like came into their weight room and mm. he was just like, don't mind me, just keep beating, beating each other up. And then like he went on the planet and he was he was like, you know all barrels four barrels ahead going and and eating the dung and like it yeah. was, i don't know he was just really ridiculous it felt like that was his character rather than it was an over-the-top version of every like i don't know i don't know how to explain it but he worked for me in ways that the ferengi absolutely definitely did not the Orions last year, last year, last week definitely did not, which again was yesterday for me. <laughs> <laughs> Time. What even is it? I feel like a bad Star Trek podcaster because I, but I knew we weren't talking about it like the, the next day, so I put it off. Sometimes I like comedies better when I binge them, like Ted Lasso, which isn't even... It's not like a sitcom-y sort of comedy. Right. It's more of a dramedy comedy. Yeah. I watched the first two episodes of the new season, and I decided that I would like it more if I was binging it the way I did the first season. And so I'm not watching it right now. 
Oh my gosh, I cannot wait for you to binge it because I have so many feelings about season two and I love it so much. <laughs> and once again, it's that thing where everyone hates it and I'm really, really into it. But also so are all of my friends. So I think I choose my friends really well. But, you know, the whole theme of Ted Lasso in season two is everyone needs therapy. And you're really going to enjoy that because I know how much you enjoy that as a theme. I'm- Everyone does need therapy. I it's will true. say that one thing that I really enjoyed about Strange Energies as an opening is that Mariner has figured out that maybe conventional therapy is not for her, which is fine. It's really not for everyone. But she has figured out that using the holodeck to work out her feelings is good for her. And I'm so happy. I'm mm. so proud of her. I feel like she's done a lot of work on herself. And we did not care for the movie episode last year where the Mm -mm. the premise of holodeck therapy was set up, but I'm glad that it's still part of Mariner's life. Yes, that's the thing that I do like. I mean, because again, my main issue is that if if you just have the same situation over and over and over again, which is like the definition of a sitcom, so... Right. This is it's why the situation. It's not for me. But if you just have the same situation over and over and over again and no one ever learns and no one ever changes and no one ever does the obvious thing that mm. they need to do in order to solve the problem that they have every week, I can't deal with that. It it's just not my way of interacting with the world. I just sit there screaming at them saying, <laughs> If you just did this, which you learned last week. <laughs> so I like yes. that Mariner has retain things i like that tendy is growing as a person Mm. that it is moving forward maybe incrementally but it is moving forward and i appreciate that and i also find it very interesting that season two really seems to be a response to critiques of season one which normally i'm against (laughs) but i kind of like the way that they are self-aware and I don't know, it's a tightrope walk, but so far they've done it in my view. I mean, you can respond to a critique by going out of your way to explain why Spock never talked about his sister. Or you can ex- mm-hmm. respond to critique by establishing that, yes, Mariner is canonically bisexual and queer and will date anyone as long as they're a sexy bad person. Exactly. There's catering to a narrow part of the audience, and then there's widening your story. The mixing up the pairs, where we have an episode with Mariner and Tendi, and we yes. have an episode with Rutherford and Boimler, and that was, like, literally every single week my brother would complain about the fact that they were always the same. Yes. And that they never switched it up. That felt like a little, you know, here's a response directly to you, Monica <laughs> and brother. The bridge crew are less background. They're not taking over, but they do have more to do, which yes. I think I appreciate. And I found episode four, the rumor that Mariner mm. started about yes. herself. It really felt like a response to that Mariner is too good at everything. Oh, that, you know, Mariner is, that. A, is a Mary Sue, quote unquote. And it really felt like they were saying, no, Mariner pretends to be something but it's absurd to think that she is too good it felt like a good version like a good you know slap back on them as opposed to you know the ray problem or the michael and spock problem where we have to explain how this happened 
yeah. and how they're so good. And it has to be directly connected to a man somehow. Yeah. That's bad. So I really appreciate that they went in a completely different direction with Mariner. There's plenty of things that I like about this story. I think that the tone is not for me. It was never for me, and it's becoming more obvious the more that I watch, because there's more of it. I think that's totally fair. And it's a reasonable criticism and it's a reasonable conclusion. I have to say that I think We'll Always Have Tom Paris is my favourite episode of the whole series so far, even (laughs) though the Boimler stuff really didn't land at all for me. But Boimler stuff is never going to land at all for me. Whereas Mm -hmm. everything with Tendi and Mariner getting to know each other and realising that they're both from very high-status families in their respective cultures and they're both rebelling against that in different ways. That was Mm -hmm. great. I have so many feelings about that. Some of my feelings are Star Trek does not know how to handle the Orions and should maybe stop trying. (laughs) But... That is definitely one. (laughs) It's sort of like they just keep trying. They really, really want to get it right and they just are not. I respect that, but, and I say this as a person who has not yet watched the Enterprise episodes that explain how Orion is secretly a matriarchy, it's just that the Orion women are totally objectified for reasons. I suggest not watching this. (laughs) I understand that you're a completionist, but I would support you in not watching them. My feeling is that I should watch them so I should know what I'm criticising, But also I think that we should just stop treating that as canon and start afresh with the Orions. Because I think that they're potentially very interesting. This is the thing. So this episode, Tendi and the Orions both were Mm. suggesting that there is more than one type of Orion. You know, like you only see this kind of Orion and we don't ever see this other kind. But it was one of those telling, not showing Mm. issues where... We still haven't seen any of those other Orions, (laughs) so how can we believe in them? It's weird that they're setting it up, and so part of me thinks that maybe it's going to come back. That's my theory. see more of Tendi's family, and it's going to become a richer culture or something. But the problem is, thus far, in four or five series, we've Mm. seen one kind of Orion. Like, Gala and Tendi are in Starfleet, so that's sort of like, okay, they're not the stereotypical Orion, but they're also still both shoved into the stereotypical Orion box at times. I feel like the least stereotypical Orion we've seen is Asira. She's a pirate and a villain, but she is definitely not one who is using her sexuality in any way whatsoever. And all of the other Orions we've ever seen, all of the Orion women we've ever seen, are in some way sexy. You know, Tendi, I love Tendi and I think she's a great character, but she's a cute girl. She's a girl you can date. And Are you suggesting that Osira is not sexy? I don't think she is intended to be sexy in the same way. I think What that... about that whole thing with Ken Mitchell's character? I guess I didn't really... Like, I could see a subtext there, but I don't know if it was sexual. Obviously, she's hugely attractive, and I would ship her with anyone, but... 
most Orion women are sexy, say sexy in a different way. All right, so you're saying that because she didn't try to seduce Vance, she tried to negotiate with him? Yeah. That she was being yeah. a different Orion. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Obviously, Tendi as a main character is different again, but I think she is still very much cute and appealing and available. Not that there's anything wrong with being those things. And in this one, again, we get this story of her that she was from... Yeah. You know, we don't know the whole story, but it was definitely suggested that she is from some kind of clan that has power and that she is a daughter of blah, 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 and thus can command men. Yes. <laughs> so now the subtext is text. Yeah, yeah. And I am curious, like, maybe they will go somewhere interesting with it, but I feel like simply by its nature as a comedy Lower Decks is always going to embrace the stupid parts of Star Trek canon like anything from Enterprise and we have to look elsewhere for interesting Orion stuff that's not in some way cringy. I had high hopes for Osira. I'm just angry that she's dead. Maybe we'll get new Orion characters. Maybe Captain Pike can have a cool, sexy Orion nemesis in Strange New Worlds. Like an Asajj Ventress to his Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes! I I'm you. ready for it! <laughs> yeah. As the Their banter is so good. I know. Because I'm not saying that Orion women shouldn't be sexy. Like, they're green alien women. I feel like that's inherent to the genre. I just want to see more variety in personality types and types of sexiness. Fair. Very fair. The flip side of the Orions is, of course, the Ferengi, who are straight-up throwbacks. <laughs> Mariner even calls them out for it. Right. On purpose. They're like, yeah. they're purposefully throwbacks, and then in the end they're tricked into being good but aren't actually... The whole thing... Like, so, again, my brother, I've watched... Star Trek with all of my brothers, different series at different times, but this is the brother who is closest in age to me, John, and we text back and forth about Marvel shows and Star Trek shows all the time. He lives in California, so he lives furthest away. I don't get to see him sometimes on holidays. Fingers crossed we're getting <laughs> together for Thanksgiving. Yes. And, you know, as long as we're all I, I understand. Healthy. There's an asterisk over any plans these days. But we text about Star Trek all the time. And he was upset on behalf of the Ferengi <laughs> with the previous appearance of the Ferengi mm. in the first season where Mariner's friend like pretends to be a bad Ferengi and tricks Boimler into thinking that yes. he is. He was like really offended that Boimler, who is supposedly like the textbook starfleet officer mm. believed that the ferengi were these horrible people and he was like what happened to rom you know he was just really really upset <laughs> you really like to think that between boimler's graduation from the academy and harry kim's or the other way around some things would have changed in terms of what they teach exactly about ferengi exactly and yet that's not what was suggested and then this double down on it even mariner who understands that they're not like that was still like talking about like 
even though she was correcting it in a way by calling it out, it was still like that was the assumption. Like that was the default. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of made sense. Like you can't expect that Rom's reforms will be universally received or instantly implemented. So, you know, maybe the Ferengi culture is in a state of flux, but it just seems like they're going for the easiest possible joke when, I don't know, I think it's much funnier to have Ferengi who are like, still capitalists but they're like totes woke greenwashing pinkwashing capitalists right exactly it was the low-hanging fruit but my main critique of both the orions and the frankie i think this show showcases that the inherent problem is these are stereotypical characters it's a wider star trek problem it's not lower decks lower decks is just shining a spotlight on the fact that you can't have a t- entire planet of people <laughs> who are exactly the same. Like, all Ferengi are not going to be capitalist jerks. All Orions are not going to be pirates. All Vulcans are not going to be Zarek. Right. So, and yet they're treated that way. The different races in Star Trek, the Bajorans... The Cardassians, all of them. Mm, Every mm. non-human race in Star Trek is treated as a monolith. I feel like part of it also is... Uh, I've lost my train of thought, but Mike McMahon said something in an interview about choosing the Packleds as an enemy because they don't really have a hat. Like, they're not warriors like the Klingons. They're not capitalists like the Ferengi. They're only traitors that they're kind of stupid. I just... A, that doesn't make for great entertainment to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. one thing I remember is that when Samaritan Snare first aired way back in season two of Next Generation, a lot of people criticised it for seeming to make fun of the intellectually disabled. And I have never exactly. been able to shake that interpretation. So possibly I said this in our Lower Decks episode last year, but I just can't find the packleds funny. Nope, I can't find the Pathlets funny. And, you know, to universalize that, that's why I have issues with the Ferengi and the Orions, because they are making fun of a certain type of person. It feels very much like punching down. Yeah, obviously capitalism and evil CEOs are like... I'm fully against them, and I think we should make fun of them all the time. But there's a difference between, like, Jeff Bezos Mm. and me making fun of him and, you know, the guy who owns the hardware store in my town. That guy is still a capitalist, but he doesn't actually have more power than you. Yeah, you can criticize him as an individual, and also criticize the system, and there's room for nuance. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, in this idea that all of Vulcan or all of Klingon is the same, it's just really weird to me. It's really... Mm. And I, I get it. I get that they're all made-up people. They're all made-up races that don't really exist. And it's very, very difficult to imagine a universe with all of this variety and then variety within the variety and we are human so we are seeing it through our lens as humans watching a story written by humans about humans like i get it i get why it's big and why it's the way it is 
but as a person who interacts with fiction, <laughs> I yes. wanted to have more of that nuance. I want there to be as much variety in the Ferengi as there are in humans. I feel like it's also partially in going back to the old early TNG style Ferengi, they've also reincorporated a lot of Jewish stereotypes, which Deep Space Nine deliberately erased. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think that exactly. there is remotely any anti-Semitic intent. But again, it's hard to have fun with this when you're kind of going, guys, guys, you can do better. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, let's talk about things we like. <laughs> because I feel like I'm a super downer and I don't... This is never going to be my favorite Star Trek. It's not going to be my Star Trek, quote unquote. Even though, like, they're pandering to me specifically by having so <laughs> much Voyager going on. I know. And I love Beckett Mariner. Beckett Mariner is such an amazing character, and all I want to do is scoop her up and put her in a different show that is all about her and not about Star Trek. <laughs> I think the beautiful thing about the way this show is cast is that the cast could play live-action versions of their characters, and that would delight me. I would love to see Mariner in a different context, and I, I would be interested in seeing Boimler and Rutherford in non-comedic contexts where mm-hmm. there is more yeah. to their characters than getting to the next punchline. But mostly what I love about this show, and I really do enjoy it for all my criticisms, is every single female character except maybe Barnes I don't know if she has much of a personality but Mariner and Tendi and Captain Freeman and Dr. Ta'ana who is getting more cat-like and weird by the week mm-hmm, it's amazing mm-hmm. I love these women and I love Ransom and Shax and Kayshawn in puppet form or otherwise I feel like to me this show doesn't need Boimler and it maybe also well, doesn't need Rutherford. <laughs> so I want to talk about Jack Quaid for a minute. So yes. Jack Quaid plays Boimler. Yes. And I watched this, I think it's on Hulu, this movie called Plus One. Uh-huh. Which stars Jack Quaid and um, yeah, Maya Erskine. Mm. It's a rom-com It's very much in the Lower Decks wheelhouse in that it is just a comedy that depends on your experience with other comedies full of tropes, like trope-tastic, right? But he was so charming in that movie that I like Boimler more because of this not great movie, but like fun, stupid easy to watch movie Mm. that makes sense you know it makes perfect sense because i am much more engaged with rutherford for having seen eugene cordero in loki in loki right yes me too i I love the idea that rutherford and casey are variants i'm fully on board with this 100 percent i think that boimler and jack quader are charming it was super incredibly smart to make him a Tom Paris fanboy. I love that (laughs) because it is so meta. I've said often that Tom Paris is the only like white guy in Voyager, like straight up, straight, cis, white man in Voyager. Like obviously there are like, you know, Ethan 
Phillips. I forgot his last name. Thank you. Ethan Phillips and Robert Ricardo are obviously white men, but they're not necessarily playing you know, the straight white man. I would argue that the doctor very much is, but yes, I understand <laughs> your point. Tom Paris from Caretaker, it is clear to me that he is supposed to be the audience surrogate. Yes. That the audience that they are directing the story towards is Tom Paris. And you're supposed to relate to him. And so the fact that Boimler wants to be Tom Paris is so perfect in this, you know, extra layer of Star Trek. And I'm impressed that they know that. Yes. It's like, wow, you guys, like, really get what is going on here. And that's why I give them a lot of credit for making Mariner and her mom and her dad, like, such a... Like, it's it's really great that they sent her Mariner and that she has these parents... Mm. And that whole story is just really, really cool to be given to a young black woman. Yeah. And a black family. And then having her best friend be Boimler and basically be Tom Paris. I, I like the layers. I like where they're going with that. And I love that they're self-aware. It's the same thing with the how I said that they're responding to criticisms of season one. Mm. It's the same self-awareness. And I really appreciate that. And I think that that is something that I like about comedy is that they can be self-aware and they can address it in that very specific way that in drama, it's too much. It's in drama, yeah, it's like yeah. you want there to be that layer between the story and the audience, whereas in comedy, the layer can sort of be transparent at times. Right. And actually, just to bring it back to, to season two of Ted Lasso, and I don't want to spoil you, but there's a lot of complaints about it because it's not catering to the audience. And I think in that way where it's a dramedy as much as it's a sitcom, mm -hmm. and it has a narrative. And so they are choosing to be true to the narrative they want to build rather than pivot to please the audience. And I think that is absolutely the right choice for Ted Lasso. But it does, like what you're saying about the difference between drama and comedy in that respect, makes sense to me. So can we talk about Riker? Yes. And, and his crew? I know that the whole, I got into Starfleet to beam people, not to deal with complicated narratives and twists and plots. I know it's taken, particularly on Reddit, as a diss against Discovery-type storytelling, but I think it's okay to like both and, and or, or one or the other, you know. So I forget where I read this review mm. of that episode, of the second episode yeah. with the two Boimlers, which was the most Riker and Titan-heavy episode. Yes. It might be Trek movie, but I'm not positive. Uh, I will try to find the link. But it was like a valentine to the idea that what that second episode was saying was it's okay to like Discovery and Lower Decks <laughs> and also TNG and also like whichever type of Starfleet and or Star Trek that you personally connect to the most. Mm. That's okay. That's good. And it's okay to have that dissonance yeah when you come up against something that isn't yours and your way because there's room enough in the universe 
for both. I didn't get that out of that episode. <laughs> I'll be honest. But the review was like great. I was like, oh, you know what? I I get that. I kind of see it now that you've laid it out for me. Mm-hmm. Like I can read it that way, and I like it. Watching the episode, I did get that it was positive towards both mm. the Boimler we know and the Boimler who became the other Boimler. Yeah. Like the one who who belongs in the Titan. I think in the Discord, one of us said that Mariner actually belongs on the Titan and Boimler doesn't. Yes. Yes. And uh, I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. I think that her, you know, face on full phasers (laughs) running way of doing things belongs with Riker and his crew that we saw yeah. in that episode. And I like it for Riker. It's sort of like, that's kind of fun that he was holding back when he was the second in command because it was his job to make sure that this ship was intact and everything mm. was okay. But when he's in charge, he gets to be making all the decisions and full throttle ahead that's sort of fun for Riker I like it and I like that he inspires that in his Titan crew even in his Boimler that he gets to keep all of that is great it's very fun for Star Trek it's very fun for Riker and it's fun for Boimler but I am a more of the other Boimler (laughs) who's like it's kind of great to have string quartets on the ship if you don't have string quartets on the ship then why what are you even doing anything for it's like my rants from last week which you know if all you ever do is work and you never go on vacation then what is your life (laughs) i feel like on an ideal starship there is room for both string quartets and klingon acid punk which is great (laughs) by the way and i just want to point out that there was a tiny bit in season one where we see mariner and tendy at talent night and they are playing what sounds like klingon acid punk so they really should have Mm -hmm. talked earlier about their taste in music but yeah, I, I do agree with Trek Movie that it boils down to the fact that there is enough room in Starfleet and in Star Trek for all. For all. Like, that's actually a really great message. Yeah. It is. We should embrace. Even though I still maintain that Mariner and also I do not belong in Starfleet. Yeah, but there's no shame in that. I, I just feel no. like Mariner stays in Starfleet because she would not have the authority to do what she can do if she was a civilian. I think that is the truth. And like people are going to yell at me for this, but mm. I think it's great to, again, shine a spotlight on the fact that there isn't a place for these people who don't belong in Starfleet, but should have the ability to handle some of the things that Starfleet kind of doesn't do well yeah like i wish that there was somewhere for mariner to be where she would have the power but she would also have the freedom i feel like it's partially that mariner is very good at second contact at looking at a situation where these people already know the federation and maybe the federation has failed them in some way and she is good at going yeah this is this problem and this is what we've done and this is how we need to fix it Right. And I think part of the issue with Strange Energies is that she doesn't have enough experience in doing this legitimately, so she doesn't Mm. actually know yet when she can and can't or should or shouldn't act. 
That makes some sense. She's never had that free reign before. And and so in the yeah. end, it ends with a compromise where she and her mother are still on great terms. They're still on the same side. But Mariner does still need boundaries before she can act as a free agent. Right. And I don't think, like, I don't think that she should be just free to do whatever she wants. Like, that's no. not what I'm saying. I don't think she should be off on her own. I just think that there should be more than one organization, that the Federation shouldn't be the only people who are capable of doing these things. It shouldn't be only Starfleet, yeah. I feel like, again, if I actually lived in this universe, I would be the person who is standing up and saying, you know what, the Federation isn't all that, and we should have non-Federation... Like, you know, Seven's Rangers? Yeah, I'm totally on board with Seven's Rangers. Because I think that there should be people who could do the things that Starfleet is unwilling to do. Which is not to say go out and violate the Prime Directive willy-nilly, but who are not beholden to a pseudo-military. Right. I just don't think that the Federation should have as much power as they do in the universe. You know, I don't think that America should have as much power as they do in the universe. Well, I'm thinking, you know, we have so many structures and organizations to do similar things you know we have un peacekeepers and we have various national militaries and for natural disasters we have the red cross and medicine sans frontiers and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. various organizations so where is the red cross of the alpha quadrant where is beverly crush's independent medicine sans frontiers going out doing illegal ai medicine exactly exactly it's just upsetting to me Mm. that the federation has so much power because i don't want anyone to have that much power no no and as we see with season three of discovery if that infrastructure collapses then there's so little to take its place you cannot put all your eggs in one basket. You cannot have your entire fleet dependent on dilithium and you can't have your whole quadrant dependent on the Federation. I'm going to plant my flag in the sand and say, yes. And that's my issue with Star Wars and it's my issue with everywhere. It's my issue with every fandom. I think it's a reasonable issue. All of the things. (laughs) And this is obviously not just a Lower Decks problem, but I think because Lower Decks is about quote-unquote second contact and the smaller and more routine works of maintaining the infrastructure of the Federation. And you and I are very into-critiquing that. (laughs) Poor Lower Decks. Obviously, they're not going to solve this issue, and it's not even necessarily an issue that needs to be solved. I just think that... In Star Trek as a whole, I would like to see more of the civilian systems, the non-military, mm. the non-Federation, the non-NASA yeah, stuff yeah. that is happening. I would like to see more of it because I just hope that it exists. I really loved the episode where Bajor decides not to join the Federation. Yes. Yes, and I think it really misses the point that in the novels they turn around and join the Federation. Right. It almost makes it seem like that was an error. Like, yeah. you know, oh, we were wrong to choose that. And it's like, no, you weren't wrong to choose that. 
there should be another option. There should be, we want to be allies with the Federation, but we don't want to be a part of it. It's difficult because the Federation is simultaneously the United Nations and the United States. Right. Which is, again, because it was written, because it was created in America. I'm not angry at anyone who sees it that way. It's just the way it is, and I think that it's it's short-sighted of some fans to not understand that that's the way it is. No, and I do find, God bless it, but Star Trek fandom is hopelessly US-centric. I mean... <laughs> Even more than usual for a fandom dedicated to an American media product. Like, I have this pet peeve where people point to the root beer scene in Deep Space Nine and go, yeah, root beer does represent all of humanity. It's sweet and cloying and over-emotional. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that root beer is only consumed in massive quantities in America. And actually, I think tea and coffee might be the beverages that epitomize humanity. Because they're wildly varied. They can be sweet or bitter. They're full of caffeine. Wow. I tip my hat to you. <laughs> I've thought about this too much. I don't like years. root beer, so obviously I actually I'm really do. not into the root beer thing. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is that I really hope that Star Trek Prodigy gives us this non-Federation mm. aligned. Yes. That's what it seems to be set up for, right? It seems to be set up for we are creating our own version. Yeah. I hope it's about that and these kids learning from Long Janeway and taking what is good from the Federation and learning from it but not being beholden to it. But who knows? Yes, yes, yes. We'll probably know more next week when Star Trek Day happens. Yeah, I'm kind of excited for Star Trek Day. I like that they are doing it. A big hoopla. yes all virtual i'm expecting to learn about strange new worlds yes maybe picard season two definitely prodigy the fourth season of discovery has wrapped up like there's a lot going on i will say that there are are way too many men (laughs) on the panels it was something like you know in the 20s of men and eight women or something like that I like that. So, not great, but I get it. Like, they chose one person to do the retrospectives of all of the different series. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are just more men than women, it turns out. And, you know, I sort of get it. Like, are you going to choose Deanna Troy to do TNG? No, you're not. I mean, I would, but that's just me. I um, might be an outlier. (laughs) On the diversity front, it was pretty good. On the women front, not so much. But uh, yeah, that sounds like Star I'm Trek still, all over, really. I'm still like, I know, that sounds like Star Trek. I'm still looking forward to it. I'm excited to learn things. And, and it's a very exciting time to be a Trekkie. There is so much going on. Yes, yes. And even so, though Lower Decks is not for us, I expect to absolutely love Prodigy. And I'm probably going to enjoy Strange New Worlds. They did what I wanted it to do, which was give it a diverse background cast along with mm-hmm, the three mm-hmm. white leads. And I really <laughs> hope that it it is a series about number one rather than Pike or Spock. I'm obsessed with number one. I'm so excited. I was going to say this is just proof that we were right not to try and do weekly or regular episodes on Lower Decks. I don't think it could sustain it. I mean, no. definitely with my... 
proclivities. It couldn't sustain it. But I also, I don't think that these episodes are written to be discussed in depth in that way. I don't think that's the purpose. I do love that Mariner questions these systems, but is also very much a part of them and actually likes being a part of them. Like, she is not Mm. a perfect character. She is not a perfect person. Can you imagine how boring a perfect character would be? Oh, yeah. No, no one wants that. I know that people... People online really (sighs) are against complication and flaws in theory. Mm-hmm. But then they love the characters who are the most flawed. And the fact that they excuse their flaws is really strange to me. Right. Like, I love characters who do terrible things. I, I am on the record as being a Ducat fan. But I would never pretend that Ducat has never done anything wrong ever in his entire life. <laughs> like some people. Yeah, apparently there are I mean, people... I will say that most fans mm. don't say that Jukai has never done anything wrong in his entire life but the actor no is kind of on record with that and, and you do get people saying that that Kai Win is worse than Ducat and I'm like really how many people did she yes. rape I'm sorry I mean people don't like Kai Win for acceptable reasons However, they also don't like Kai Win for unacceptable reasons like the fact that she's a woman the yeah. fact that she's middle-aged, the fact that she has an opinion that's different than Cisco's. It's like you can be against her for her problematic, her very obvious mm. problematic opinions and issues and platforms, but you can't be against her because you don't like her. She's not charming. She's not pretty. She's not nice. No, like, no. Sorry. Those aren't acceptable reasons to dislike her. No. I mean, she's a passive-aggressive bitch, and I love her. But also I think she's right about a bunch of things. Can we do an episode on Kai Win? Absolutely. Thank you. I will 100% do an episode on Kai Win. I will watch episodes for her. I think that she is not necessarily a great character, but she has the potential to be a great character. I think what makes her interesting to me is that she could have been a great person and she didn't even understand that she was turning down the opportunity to be so. But also that she had good reasons. Like, I think that if I were Bajoran and we had just driven the Cardassians off and then this alien came in and announced that he was the emissary... I would be horrified. I would reject him. Well, and that's the thing, is that we are told the story from the point of view of our cast. Yeah. And she is an outsider. And so the narrative never requests us to be in her point of view or in her shoes. She is just an antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. The closest we get is Kira admitting in her first episode that she agrees with some of Wynne's positions. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're very off topic. And I've just had a nice message from my flatmate to say she's ready to drive me to the shops whenever we're done. Should we I think up? I think we can be done. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like we've, we've, think... we've covered all of our feelings about Lower Decks and also some other shows. Right. We're going to do the last, the back half too. I, I will say as much as I... <laughs> As much as I'm not as invested in Lower Decks as 
I am in other Star Treks. Mm. It doesn't mean I don't want to watch it. Oh, no. Or talk about it. No. It is a very enjoyable way to spend half an hour a week. And Absolutely. If I hadn't put myself in the position of volunteering to talk about it every now and then, I really wouldn't have thought of most of these problems that I have at all. That too. I think that's true. Sometimes fandom can make things less fun, and not mm. everything needs to be analysed to death, although I do think it's worth having a discussion about their depiction of Orions and Ferengi, so I'm mm. glad we did that. Yes. Woo! <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at antimatterpod and on Facebook. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for the algorithm to show us to new listeners. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the news out of Star Trek Day. Woo! I know it's silly, but I do enjoy our intermittent episodes where we just catch up on whatever announcement has been made at a con or similar. It's fun. Yeah. We never know what it's going to be about. <laughs> it's great. I love it. <laughs>